Thank you, Devin. Uh, Devin was everywhere in the first part of the service. He was at the, at the organ, then the piano, and then he sang bass. So uh, I don't think he's omnipresent, but he was everywhere this morning. And then he played the banjo in the first service. Uh, well, on the keyboard, but it sounded like a banjo. Uh, but anyway, this morning, I'm glad that you're here and uh, hope that you're ready to look in God's Word and hear what God has for us. And in honor of God's Word, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Do you, do you enjoy, before you stand, do you enjoy getting mail? And I'm, I'm not talking about emails because we all get way too many emails, but like the real mail, the snail mail that comes to your house and cards. Do you like getting that? Well, isn't it great that God has given us a written card? And it's a pretty big card, a lot of words in it. And it's a, it's a letter uh, directed to us. So stand, stand with me as to, in honor of God's word that we, uh, we read what God has for us. Revelation chapter 3, this verse is 1 through 6. Uh, Jesus uh, giving this message to the angel of the church in Sardis. To the angel of the church in Sardis, write, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you're dead. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain which were about to die, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So remember that what you have received and heard and keep it, and repent, therefore, if you do not wake up. I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. But you have a few people in Sar- <coughs> excuse me, who have not <coughs> soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will thus be clothed and in white garments, and I will erase his name, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let us pray. Father, might uh, you take the time we have in your word to allow us to understand it and then to respond to it, and follow after you. And we ask this in Christ's name, and all God's people said, Amen. Well, this morning we want to look at another church uh, that God sent a message to. And as I was looking at this uh, particular passage, there's so many things that we could try to glean out of it in terms of what he was trying to say to them then and to us now. And as I was thinking about this passage, in many ways, I was, I was looking back into uh, the olden days when, um, before they had a color TV, they had what kind of TV? Black and white. We, we t- asked you a question if you uh, remember the 1905 uh, Japanese War. How many remember when TV was black and white? A few of you are willing to admit that. All right. Uh, well, it, it, when black and white rain in terms of your home, whenever you turned on the, the boob tube, uh, probably the, one of the most familiar type of programming was on uh, those sets were, were, um, were Westerns. Remember the Western? Okay, and the Westerns, uh, they reigned. Everybody watched Westerns. And Bonanza used to be black and white and then became colorized and all that kind of things. But uh, Westerns were really big. And, and they made a little bit of a comeback. They've had some feature films recently, Yuma 310, and uh, I think True Grit got uh, put back on the screen. You know, John Wayne wasn't in there, but somebody else was playing uh, his role. And, and there have been a few Westerns. But whether it was black and white or color, I remember particularly, uh, you know, they had the good guys and the bad guys, and, and if the good guy was going after the bad guy, and he was maybe a sheriff or a deputy or whatever it might be, uh, he would often take a poster with him to make sure that people knew that he had uh, the authority to go after this individual that he was trying to find. And often it, the, the big, on big letters it would say wanted. Remember that? Wanted. 
And then depending on how bad the guy was, we'll make it the gender male. Okay, how, no matter how bad the guy was, if he was really bad, they would say dead or alive. Remember that? Wanted, dead, or alive. And so whomever wanted to send these people out to find him, they could care less whether the guy coming back who was on the poster was sitting on the sandal, uh, not sandal, on the saddle, or his body was what? You know, across the saddle. Because it didn't matter what they wanted in terms of those who were involved in justice. Uh, they wanted him, and they just wanted him no matter how you, they got him. And whether they were dead or alive, they just wanted him. Now, as we think about what God's plan for us is, uh, he has a wanted poster out for every one of us as well. But I, I want to assure you that on his wanted poster that has our faces on it, it doesn't say dead or alive. He just wants us what? Alive. And so as we think about this message to the church at Sardis, that was the message he was giving to them. However, he was saying, I, I, I got to tell you, you're already dead. And, and that was not his goal for them. That was not his plan for them. Just like as he wrote to the other churches, except for a couple churches that were doing really, really well, there were some things that were wrong, and he wanted those things that were wrong to be made right or to change. Now, we've already looked at some other churches. We looked at the church at Ephesus, and the question you, you posed for the church at Ephesus is, how is your love life? And the, and the answer was, not very good, because they were a loveless church. They were loving less than they should. They didn't love uh, God with a first love. And so... Right at the heart of, uh, of their lives, he said, you need to be a church that puts me first and loving me first. And he's talking about them in terms of a majority perspective. doesn't mean there was no one in that church that w- wasn't loving God first, but the majority of them weren't. And then you look at the church at Smyrna, and this describes what they were experiencing. It doesn't really describe how they were doing, but they were a suffering church. And a suffering church was a church that their faith became uh, if this is a word, purified. Okay, they, their, their, their faith became pure because they couldn't play the game. They either had to be on fire for God or they just run from God because uh, the community around them was making it so hard to be a Christian, they either had to put up or shut up. And so their faith became stronger because of the opposition. And so you could say about that church, they got better rather than bitter. And as you think about naming a church, wouldn't that, wouldn't that be great or describing a church that, you know, I go to that church and it makes me better. That's, that's the goal here. The goal is not information, though I like to dump all kinds of stuff at you every time I talk, but that's not really the goal. The goal is not more information, it's transformation. And so they became better rather than bitter. And then you had two churches that were similar in many ways. The, the church at Pergamum, which was a church that was compromising. And it was a church that wasn't very discerning. And sometimes we find ourselves in that place. You know, we're, we're at a crossroads, and we don't, do I go left or do I go right? Um, some of you are aware that sometimes I've gone left when I should have gone right, and it wasn't because I didn't know better. I just didn't know, okay? And sometimes if you're a little bit smarter than I was, I could have made the right decision and not got lost. And, and we need to realize that, that God is not impressed with us that when we act foolish, he wants us to be discerning and think about what we do before we do it. And it was a compromising church because it was just conforming to the world. And then you have the church in Thyatira, which we looked at, and it was, it was a church that was, uh, as we've named it, too tolerant. In other words, they knew what to do, but they could not just say what? No. 
you have your outlines, you can, you can get my cheat sheet right there. Okay? The, the church in Thyatira was a too tolerant church because they knew better. But they wouldn't say no. They wouldn't say no. Well, the church we look at today, and we've read about the church, is that this is a church that was described by Jesus as a dead church. And we're going to try to look at that in a couple different ways this morning. Um, and as we look at that, basically we're going to be posing the question, where were they and where are you or where am I, where are we spiritually? Because that's what he was talking about. Obviously he wasn't talking about they were dead physically. If they were dead physically, then they couldn't hear the message from the angel that was sending the message to them. So it wasn't a, a physical death, but it was a spiritual death. And I want to suggest to you that in all churches, there are basically three conditions. You know, there, there are people who come to that church that are dead spiritually, which we're going to see basically means they don't know God. They might know about God. They might look like they know God, but they don't know God because they're dead spiritually. And then you have other people, they're coming to church and, man, they're limping along. And, and their spiritual condition, you could say they're, they're kind of sick and weakly. You know, they're, they know Jesus, but it's, boy, it's just, it, it's, it's, they're really super struggling living it out. And, they're, and they're, just, they're just weak in their faith, and it's hard to, to demonstrate the reality of the, of the joy of God in their life. And, and then you have people who are healthy. They're, they're doing well. Not, they're not perfect. But they're going down the right path, and it's God's direction that they're following. And so we're going to look at that church and look at how that kind of comes out of the passage as well as look at some other things this morning. But I want this question to just be marked in your mind. Where were they spiritually? But as it comes to us, more importantly, where are you spiritually? Just where are you? And this is, this is a question you're not going to have to answer to me or you know, you're a family member or a friend, but it is a, it is a question you're going to have to answer to God for where are you? Where are you with him? So let's look at it again. We read it, but let's reread it, and then we'll look at a few other things. To the angel of the church in Sardis, and we've told you that before. The angel is there. It's a Greek, what's called a transliterated word. Uh, the word for angel in the Greek is angelos. Sounds just like angel. And if it was translated, it would mean messenger. And the messenger can be a heavenly messenger, which would be a, a being with probably wings on or some some type of persona which made you recognize he's, he's not from this world, he's from another world, he's from God's world in heaven. And, and that could have been the messenger for each church. Or it's probably an earthly messenger, which probably means probably a pastor. And so Jesus is speaking to these men who are with John, as John records this, and says, okay, I want you to go back from where you came and bring this message to your church. And we've already seen four people come, uh, to Jesus and sent out. Now we got the fifth one coming. And he says, To this messenger, I say this He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this. Now, I, I've mentioned to you that, uh, that the book of Revelation is the book of Revelation, not the book of Revelations. And at least devotionally, what that should emphasize this is a book primarily to reveal a singular uh, truth, and that singular truth is who is Jesus and see him in his fullness. So it's an unveiling of Jesus. So the book of Revelation is about who is coming, not so much about when he is coming. Uh, there are some things about what's going to happen when he does come, and we'll talk about that and look at that in God's word. But it's who is coming. 
and who is coming is revealed in some word pictures that are not normally seen in the Gospels. We don't normally see that Jesus is portrayed as seven spirits. We don't see Jesus portrayed as one who has in his hand seven stars. Well, what is he trying to tell us about himself in that way? Well, the seven spirits, probably the idea there, if you look at Isaiah 11 and I think it's Zechariah chapter 4, it's a presentation of, the, of how Jesus is connected to the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And, and the Holy Spirit is not some mystical, ethereal nothing out there. This is a powerful part of, of deity. And there's a fullness of him. In Isaiah, it says the sevenfold spirit. So it's a, he's the spirit of the Lord. He's the spirit of wisdom. He's the spirit of understanding. He's the spirit of counsel. He's the spirit of strength. He's the spirit of the fear of the Lord who brings fear in others. So Jesus, when you see him, and, and when he was here on earth, he manifested itself demonstrably. He was a man full of the spirit of God in his fullness. And so you could mark him as a man, as Nicodemus did, even before he, he knew him, says, I know you're not from here. You're like unlike no one else. And that's because the fullness of the Spirit was in you. And, and whenever we're in the presence or understanding of the fullness of God, you, we take note. It, it, it's, it's not a, a thing that we should ever take lightly because God is all-powerful and mighty. All strength, all wisdom, all understanding, all counsel bringing the fear of God in him. He's from the Lord. And the idea of seven stars in his hands, he's not talking about the, the things that twinkle in the, in the heavens. He's talking about the stars, which are the, the messengers to the church. He said, the church is in my hand. And, and so with this, as one who speaks with authority, and, and when, people, when people give you advice or counsel, don't you want them to know what they're talking about? I mean, if something goes wrong in your car, you know, you could, you could ask me, but if you, if you did, I, I would say, you are a fool, okay? I have no idea what's wrong with your car. Now, I can always give you an opinion. I'm really good at giving opinions, but, but I, you know, I, I, I could not help, help you to fix your car. Now, you want to go to someone who knows what he's talking about. You know, when you're sick, you know, you can ask your friends, and I did that over the last couple of weeks because, you know, I've got kind of an inflamed throat, and I kept asking people, oh, should I go to doctors? And they said, no, it's probably nothing, you know, Finally, after it lasted three weeks, I said, you got to go to the doctor. Are you sure? I don't want to pay that copay. I'm kind of cheap that way. You know, so, so anyway, so I went there, and I thought, well, okay, I'll go. And so I talked to someone who knew what he was doing, uh, you know, an MD, and, and he told me, you know, Mike, you, you're kind of like a baby. You know, you shouldn't have come in here. There's nothing wrong with your throat. Just hang in there. Okay. So, you know, so, so anyway, basically what he's saying there, you don't have any infection. You know, it's just inflamed, and, and just, just wait it out. And I said, well, is there any restrictions on my behavior? And he says, no, you can do whatever you feel like doing. And, I says, and he asked me, he said, well, is there anything that kind of makes it feel worse? And I said, when I, when I talk. Well, quit talking. And I said, well, I can't really do that. <laughs> but, you know, you, you want to hear from somebody who might be able to give you good advice. So at least now, I know, I, I feel, well, no matter how I'm feeling, I'm not really sick. I'm just, you know, I've got some inflamed parts of my throat. And so when Jesus gave a picture of himself, it was for the purpose for people to hear something they didn't want to hear, but they knew they needed to hear it. And it was from someone who knew what he was, what he was talking about. So he says this to the church. He says, I know your deeds, which simply means I know what you're doing, that you have a name that you are alive. So to put it another way, they had a what kind of reputation? 
a good reputation. Man, this is a good church. It's an alive church. And we have a lot of different ways to describe, you know, churches that are alive today, you know, musically or programmatically or pastorally or whatever it might be. And, 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 and you know, we use all those kind of descriptions. But, but he says, look it, you have a good reputation, maybe in all those areas. But you're not an alive church, as he says right now. You have a good reputation. You have a name that you are alive, but you are what? Dead. Now, there, there is no more sobering words to hear from Jesus than this. I'm looking at you, and, and, and you look alive, but you're dead. There's all kinds of stories I was going to tell in the first service, but I got kind of distracted in my own way of, the only way I was going to approach the message. But have you ever been to a wax museum? Okay. I used to really love wax museums. You know, you see all those people. It's amazing what they can make those, what do you, I don't know what you call wax museum people, but whatever those things are, you know. And they go, man, that really, some of them are really good. Some of them are kind of, you know, cheesy. But some of them, they really look like the people they're trying to portray. But, you know, you can go up to them and you think they're so lifelike, but the reality is you try to talk to them, they're not going to what? They're not going to answer you back because they're not alive, they're dead. They do kind of trick with you a little bit in some of those places, those museums, because they'll have actors there and they'll act like this, you know, and then when you're not looking, they'll kind of come out of character and touch you. You ever had that happen? Some of you go, I've never had Well, it's happened to me anyway. So, so, you know, sometimes we can't tell whether something's alive or dead by just looking, but Jesus could. He says, you're dead. And, you know, that's... That's what, that's what God says to people who don't know him. Even if they look like they know him. In Ephesians chapter 2, we won't read the whole passage, but he says to those people, he says, I want to describe the condition you used to be in. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. And then the end of that passage, you, you used to be children of wrath. In other words, God's judgment was headed toward you. And then it goes on in that chapter, until you were made alive in Christ. And then probably to me, the, the most shocking words ever said by Jesus is recorded in Matthew chapter 7. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Kind of look at all that I've done. My reputation is pretty good. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. <coughs> Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So they had some credentials there. It looked like they really knew God, but they did not. Those who looked alive were dead. They had no spiritual life. What's the solution for that? There, there's only one solution. That's new birth, or what we would call resurrection. God needed to come and take that which is dead and give it life. I encourage you this week to look at Mark chapter 5, verses 35 through 43, which is a great biblical illustration of this. This, this man comes to Jesus and says, my, my daughter's dead. No, no not, not my daughter's My daughter's about to die. Can you come quickly? Well, he gets distracted. He gets distracted. I mean, Jesus is always under control. But I'm, some of you are switching your pages. You don't need to switch your page yet, right? Anyway, so Mark chapter five, and, and what happened is that Jesus heals another person, and then uh, the the official of the synagogue comes and and uh, comes back, and he says, "Don't bother the teacher anymore, because your daughter has died. 
Jesus comes to this little girl and says, well, she's not really dead. She's only asleep. Now, she was dead physically. But what, what Jesus did was raise her from the dead and gave her life. And see, that's what Jesus does for those of us who are now dead and who were dead. He said, I'm the resurrection life. He who believes in me shall live, even if he dies. So that dead church, they needed resurrection. They needed a new birth. Now, I I, kind of look at verses 2 and 3. You can put 2, verse 2, with uh, those who were dead in that church, or you can take 2 and 3 and look at those who were sick. And I kind of put those three together. Then he goes on to another group. This is the majority that were dead, but there were other those who were just sick in the church. He says, wake up and strengthen the things that remain. And the reason I think these were a different group of people, because he says, which were about to die. So he's talking about some people that that were moving for God, but he says, you know, those things are about to die in your life. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So these people were doing some things, but he said, you're not really giving it everything for me. And then he says this, here's a solution for you. So remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. So, so those who are struggling in your walk with God, you need to recognize, okay, this is the minority in there. The majority were dead. The minority of them were just sick. But this was, this was horrific in their walk with God. I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I come to you. And the idea is if you don't wake up, you don't repent, you don't start keeping the things you used to do, and remember where you've fallen. Now, I, I would describe these as those within a church that aren't dead, but they're sick. They're spiritually sick. It's the same idea in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Now you, you look on the other side of the outline. And, and this is what Paul said to a group of Christians. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food. And you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you're not yet able. For you're still fleshly, which basically means you're still selfish. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly and are you not walking like mere men? Now, what is he saying there? He said, you are Christians, but you're not acting like Christians. You're not walking like Christians. You're you're walking like you're just mere people. You you are new creatures in Christ, so so live like that. And to live like that, you've got to go back to the basics. And the basics are simply obeying God and and learning from God and taking that spiritual nourishment you so desperately need. In 1 Corinthians 11, 28-30, Paul said this to the same group of people. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks and eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. You know, if you don't examine yourself spiritually, you can approach God in an unworthy manner. And then he says there's a consequence for that. For this reason, many among you are weak and, what's the next word there? Sick. And a number sleep. Now there he's actually talking about physical sickness. But as a result of their spiritual sickness. They weren't walking close to God. And God says, okay, if if, if you're not going to live for me, then I'm going to bring judgment upon you. And that judgment can come like a thief. Just when you don't, you're not aware when it's going to come. Well, if the remedy for spiritual death is a new birth, you need to know Jesus. Unless a man be born again, he should not inherit the kingdom of God. The remedy for when we're spiritually sick is good medicine. 
I mean, I, I, was, I was so hoping when I went to the doctor, he'd give me something that would immediately cure my throat. Well, he didn't have anything for it. He just said, you need to rest, you need to drink lots of liquids, and, and do the basics. Get, get, I hate to sleep, but he said, you need to sleep more. You, know, you, you just need, you need to eat well. Uh, just do the things that are, that are going to make you well. You know, I hate to hear the basics sometimes. Don't you like, I mean, give me, just give me something. No, you got to eat well, you got to drink plenty of liquids, and you got to get sleep. Well, how boring is that, right? Well, I'm going to tell you something pretty simple here. If you're going to get well spiritually, you got to read your Bible and what? Pray, okay? Have you ever heard that before? But the problem is, even though we know what to do, we often don't do it. Um, and, and some of you will have close friends when I share this. Sometimes when, when the, the older we get, you know, there, there are things that we used to have an appetite for that we no longer have an appetite for. And what's interesting, sometimes what we lose our appetite for is, is what's most necessary. I can't tell you how many times I, I've been with people in their homes or in, in the hospitals or in, a, in just one-on-one conversations, and, and they'll tell me something really novel. My doctor tells me I need to eat more. But I don't feel like eating. I, I've kind of lost my appetite. And I'm simply thinking, well, if you're going to get better, you're going to have to eat whether you feel like it or not. And, and so it's not a novel thing for them, but they, they've got to be disciplined up just eating because they're, they're not getting well because they're not getting the physical nourishment. If that's true physically, in other words, sometimes they have to eat when they don't want to. But let's be honest. Do you always want to read the Bible and pray? Okay, let's be honest, okay? I don't always want to read the Bible and pray. But I, I, I make that a practice because it's good for me spiritually and it, and it, gives, it takes the sickness out of my soul. Uh, we won't turn it, but in 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, Paul, I'm Peter, Paul, Peter says to the, the church there, he says, you know, you need to get away all the, the, the stuff that's wrong in your life, the malice and the hatred and the gossip and all that kind of thing. And they said, long for the pure milk of the word like a little what? Baby. Okay, and, and so what we need to recognize when we're, we're kind of getting a little sickly spiritually, we need to go back to the basics and simply like that little baby. And I was with someone this, this last night. It was, it was a birthday party for someone older, but there was a little baby there. And, they got out the, the bottle for the baby, and that baby just jumped at it, right? It's just natural to want the pure milk of the, uh, 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 that's, that gives strength when you're a little child. and That's the desire we need to have when we don't even feel like it. And that will make us, when we're sick, well. There was another group of, of people in that church, and we find that in verses 4 through 6, and I'll make quick comments. He says this, But you have a few people... And Sardis, who have not soiled their garments. So he said, okay, if the majority were dead, and then there was another minority that was sick and needed to wake up and, and repent and start doing the things that were normal and obvious, he said, well, then I have a few of you. You know, as I look at, you know, your, your, your pattern of life, there's, there's not a whole lot that I can criticize. Your garments are clean. They're white. And he, and, he, and he describes those who are healthy. He says, and then he goes on and gives them promises. And they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. 
And he says, Evil whoever comes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before the Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He's describing those who are doing well spiritually. And, and, and as we think about when we're doing well, and sometimes we just need to recognize, hey, we're doing all right. You know, quit, quit you know, abusing yourself and criticizing yourself all the time. You are giving your best for God. And what's, what's the remedy for that? What, what, what's the advice for those who are doing well spiritually? And some of you are doing well spiritually here as I preach. Well, for those who are dead, it's new birth. For those who are sick, it's, it's good medicine. And for those, those, who aren't, those who are doing well or are healthy, it's, it's just continue to be involved in godly discipline. Just keep on doing what you're doing. First John says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. And then he, then he goes on and says, well then, as a person who knows God well, just keep on confessing your sins. When things come up, deal with, it with God. Keep what they call short accounts with God. Sometimes we, we, uh, you know, we, we start to drift. Anybody experience drifting with God? And when we drift, it's when we aren't, examine our lives to see if we're close to him. And if there's anything between his life and our life, there's something wrong there. If we keep short accounts with God, confessing our sin, which is, should be the natural pattern of a Christian, then we'll stay close and well and healthy. And then in uh, 1 John, he says, he talks about, he's the, who's the one who's really an overcomer? The one who keeps God's commandments. Just as, you, as, you, as God gives you his word, then do your best to obey it. And the reason I put godly discipline, and maybe I could have come up with a better way to phrase that, is the Bible often uses physical analogies to describe the spiritual adventure. In 1 Timothy 4, 8, it says that, that bodily discipline profits a little, but godliness is a means of great gain. Now, when I went into the doctor uh, this week and checked on my throat, you know, they check on other things before they get to the place, the reason why you go in there, Right? They weigh you, and you're thinking, well, why do you need to weigh me? It's my throat, okay? They check my temperature. I said, I don't have a temperature, but they checked your temperature. Um, I, 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 you know, my blood pressure is, is fine. Now, the people around me, their blood pressure might be higher, but mine is fine. But they took blood pressure, and everything checked out fine. And, and then they ask you the question, well, just how much exercise do you get? Well, I usually can come up with a pretty good answer to that. And they're always pretty impressed, you know, how consistent I am with, with uh, getting exercise. But it'd be interesting for all of us, no matter what kind of response we would get to that question, well, how much exercise are you getting? You know, how many days a week and how many minutes during, these, during those exercise times do you, you, you do? But how would we do if someone asked us, and maybe the Lord himself, well, how many times do you spend time alone with me? What's the quality of the experience you have in the Word of God or in just talking with me? What, what's your pattern of fellowship with God's people? What are you doing with the gifts and abilities that I've given you? Because service is not only for the sake of others, but it's so healthy for you as well. And so we, we are healthy spiritually when we, when we keep on doing the things that, that God outlines for his people. So what's the point this morning? The point this morning is a simple question. Where are you spiritually? If you're dead, there's, there's a remedy. Put your faith 
and Jesus Christ. Have him come into your life as the Savior and forgiver of your sins. Ask him to leave and dwell within you. If you're sick this morning, and you, know, you can describe sickness in so many different ways spiritually, but if, if you know your heart's not really all right with God, then go to him. And identify those areas in your life that you need to confess to Him. And then get on a, a nourishment plan where you're, you're spending time with Him. And if you're doing well, then just keep on keeping on. Just keep doing those things that, that just like there are things that we can do that makes us physically well, keep on doing the things that will make you spiritually well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you have come that we might learn from sometimes the, the victories of others, but sometimes the things that, that are the mistakes of others. And Father, there are many things that were going wrong in the church of Sardis, but you gave them hope that those things could be made right. If, the, if just the few that were still there kept on keeping on, and those that were struggling would would not would not give up that they would take that which was wrong and make it right they would take the things in their life that were not well in the relationship with god and and turn to those things that would make them well might you apply this message to each one of our lives and we ask this in christ's name amen as we conclude our time together let's stand